Welcome to episode 3235 of the Survival Podcast. You're like, wait a minute, Jackson, we're live and you're listening to a recording of a podcast on Fountain FM if you're really switched on or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or something like that. How can we be live? Well, you're not if you're listening to it that way. That's the audio. It's where most of you choose to consume this program. But almost every day, Fridays being the notable exception, We are live uh, Monday through Thursday, 99% of the time when we have new episodes out. Five days a week we do a show. Four of them are generally live. And if you want to know more about that, you can always see the next upcoming live show just by going to tspclive.com, tspclive.com. And if you see one, you're like, that was yesterday. It means we haven't put the latest one up yet. Yet it's the last one. So uh, that's just a great place to check. Generally, by about 10 a.m. any given day, I have that sh- that day's stuff uh, posted up and ready. Sometimes I get ahead of it, and I'm there a day early. Uh, I guess if I had more, uh, if I had like an office staff, that would get done for me. But I have to do it myself. Anyway, what are we going to talk about today? We got a listener feedback and Q&A session today. We're going to talk about this, uh, the, these articles that are floating around, uh, made famous by uh, podcasting legend himself, uh, Joe Rogan. Eating eggs can cause sudden blood clots. I'll tell you, I think that maybe if you want to call it our side is overplaying this one, but there's a bigger, there's a bigger thing going on here. This is less about um, covering up something and more about overtly attacking something, which is the consumption of meat and animal products. And this this is only going to get ramped up. So I'm going to come at it more that way. There's also some big news out from Project Veritas, uh, a, uh, a Pfizer employee saying the quiet part out loud of something that's shocking even to us here at TSPC. And uh, we won't talk about that today. I'll just prime the pump for that. That will be my segment on tomorrow's Expert Council Q&A show. Uh, I have a question on how to cook a steak like a pro in a small apartment with limited equipment. This isn't even hard. But I'll give you some things that if you're in that situation, you may want to add to do a bit better of the job uh, and to kind of get yourself up to some of that, that kind of pro quality stuff that you would expect from in a good steakhouse. Next up, using wood chips in deep litter. I use mostly straw for my uh, my chicken duck house. I'm actually, I've, I've got so much wood chips now that's going to change. I'm going to start using more wood chips myself. And I'll be using a mixture. But somebody wants to know, if you were using just wood chips, would the way I do composting, they came to the composting workshop we did a couple weeks ago here, would it work with the Johnson Sioux method I'm doing? And if it did, would it take longer than the straw? And if so, how much longer? We'll cover that today, and I'll throw in some thoughts on biochar with that as well, uh, because that's something that's going, like, my mind is going crazy over what can be done with that right now. Uh, yes, also, uh, I got some shrieking emails. I didn't know you were a dopehead, Jack, because I did a show on cannabis yesterday. What rock are these people living under? Has it, is anybody out there shocked that Jack Spierko would do a show on cannabis? Did you miss the other, like, six we've done in the past? Did you miss the fact that we had, like, three vendors in the MSB before I announced this morning uh, that we added a cura from yesterday, so we now have four? Did you, did you, like, re? Yeah. Yeah, one step closer says, re, yeah, the re's came in. Like five different people, like totally losing their shit over a plant. We're going to talk about people that still lose their shit over a plant today. And 
and how much damage was done to your brain by the war on drugs and how we conflate one thing with another just because the government says no no I'll, we'll have a little bit of an old school jack rant when we get to that one I'm also going to talk about when a doctor says the quiet part out loud. I got feedback from a listener. Quite a few little short ones from listeners here today that I think are really interesting. One is that. Also, I said that the the guy that was uh, the head of uh, Lamborghini back in the 70s was asked why Lamborghini didn't advertise on television. Uh, this is my my episode that was called Why, why You Always Lose and They Always Win. And uh, that there was more to it. And they, so anyway, they asked him why. And he said, because rich people that buy Lamborghinis don't watch TV. Uh, somebody wrote in something anecdotal that kind of goes to that point in a different way. I found it interesting. Basically, rich people tend to take care of themselves. And I know unhealthy rich people. Yeah, I know you do. I'm talking about the aggregate average and how they get there and stay there, by the way. Uh, positive actions are like flying. Negative thought is like falling. It takes no effort once you start. That's based on something I said in that episode as well. And then I'm going to give you a breakdown of what I have termed, and I don't know if anybody else has done anything with this before, the dual trivium. Is it the sextivian? The dual trivium of education and how it applies to giving yourself the confidence that you can indeed homeschool. And if you've never, if that sounds crazy, I think it will make sense. I think it will make sense. And by the way, See, this person here, one step closer, said, I'm no big fan of pot, but you do you. And there's pot, and then there's the entire world of cannabis, by the way, I'm just saying. But I agree. Like, I have never told anybody to do anything, but eh, we'll save it till we get there. Before we do, let us go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day, number one today, BulkAmmo.com. You need ammo. You need to buy it in bulk, and you need to stock it, and you know why. I actually think Bulk Ammo needs to take this phrase I've been saying. And make it their strap line for marketing. You guys should email Dustin over there and tell him. Because a gun without ammo is an expensive club. That's why you need to use bulk ammo. All the common calibers, everything you're looking for, uh, point-click buy, lightning-fast shipping to your door. Amazing company. Sponsor of this show going on like nine years now. So check them out today, bulkammo.com. Next up today, knifekits.com. Knifekits is a great freaking website. And I just wanted to show you guys that are on the video today a little bit of like, they have so many more things other than just kit knives. They absolutely have straight up kit knives. They have all kinds of knife making instructional material, uh, handle material, display material, stuff like that. Like everything in the world of knives from raw materials to kit stuff. But they also have like, uh, holster making equipment, including like blue guns for molds. So if you want to start making holsters, and you don't have every frame that you want to make a holster for. You can buy what's called a blue gun uh, for form and fitting and tons of other stuff. Uh, it, it's really a great website. They're also like they are probably one of the longest term sponsors that we still have with us today. Been around since the very beginning. And like I always say, America has turned into a country where people can't do stuff anymore. And everybody wants to call a guy to do everything for them. We need to rebuild our skill sets in America, hard skills. And taking up a hobby like um, like making knives, it opens up so many skills that you develop. You're going to have to learn to sharpen, 
Even the kit ones don't come sharp. That's a good thing. You're going to have to learn how to use basic hand tools, do basic wood finishing. If you start making sheaths, that can get into kydex work or leather work. And so it can be a hobby that turns into just a skill development program. Start doing it with your kids. You're making family our heirlooms. Take that hobby one step further. It's a side hustle. Take it a little further. It could even be a full-time business. I know people that make a decent extra income uh, doing nothing but using blank-derived knives. So you're buying the base kit, but they're doing really nice handlework and things like that and making really beautiful one-of-a-kind pieces of art. And they don't have to sell a ton to make a decent extra income off of it. So check that out today. All right. So uh, you will see that Mammoth asked me a question, and I will answer that question in the Q&A portion at the end. And you'll see that they put Mr. Spearco, I live in Texas in all caps, and then the question if you are in the live stream, that is how to make sure it is more likely, not guaranteed, but more likely I see your question. Let's start off with uh, this one. So Joe Rogan kind of blew this up and maybe a little bit out of proportion. So there is a study out of the Cleveland Clinic. That is a very prestigious clinic, if you don't know, uh, that says uh, nutrient and eggs could increase the risk of blood clots. And, of course, everybody wants to immediately jump to they're using it as another excuse for people that are dropping over from the clot shot. I don't really think so. And I actually think that stories like the one you're looking at on the screen extrapolated the study a little bit further than the people that produced the study really intended. So basically, if you, if you read the study, and I did, you will find really quickly that it doesn't actually hammer eggs very hard. It says people that uh, consume large amounts of choline, which is found in eggs, uh, increase the risk of blood clots, which may or may not be the case. But I think what you're seeing right now in our very biased so-called world of science, in line with the show I did last week uh, called They Want You Sick, Compliant, and Dying, is a complete war on any and all animal products. And I'm taking this one more like this then, oh, I don't know, articles in mainstream media that say things like, you know, if you laugh when you go to the doctor, it could be a sign that you'll die suddenly. I think that goes more in the court that people are trying to paint this one. And they certainly will. And they also think that sometimes, like, they bring some stupid shit up and think that maybe people will buy it. Um, and then when it doesn't, then they back off. But I don't think that's the one here. I I really don't. And you know me. I don't defend the establishment. I think this was designed to make the case that maybe you should eat less animal products. And eggs just happens to be square in the middle of where you get lots of choline from. Now, other research has been done because I checked that showed even what they were looking for, which was an increase in plasma that can lead to a higher probability of a blood clot if other things are engaged. Um, a study was done years ago, several years ago, where they tried this straight with eggs and people ate four eggs a day for four weeks with no increase in this plasma marker. So it doesn't really vilify eggs if you dig deeper, but who digs deeper? But I do think there is a huge move and uh, Mr. Bill Gates, who has like man moves out to here now, who's now a health expert and a medical expert, is actually right now, this moment, on social media and things like that, making a big push that we really need to not be eating eggs anymore. Instead, we need to eat fake eggs that are made from agricultural products. 
as though a chicken isn't one. And he just happens to own more farmland than any other individual in the country right now. And this is the Gates model. You go front end something because you have billions of dollars. You do it under the auspices of we're helping people. I'm using my Gates Foundation. We're going to give a lot of shots to people that will live and, and all their shit. And then you manipulate the market using your name and your brand to push things in the direction of the front run that you pushed on. And this is across the board right now that we will be healthier people if we eat things that are grown in a field that has been sterilized, saturated with uh, phosphorus that's been mined, causing a freaking environmental disaster that is beyond words, and, and specifically in our country, Florida right now, seeding our fields with freaking uranium. And, and some people pushed back on that one when I brought that up earlier this week on my show, How After Our Food Supply, and said, Jack, you're like those soccer moms that are worried about how much radiation is in a banana. I didn't tell you there was radiation in your, your food. I said that we are re irradiating the fields where the soil life web has to like form and enable us to actually grow nutritious food, right? Like, you know, get your eyes on the prize, so to speak. But there is a huge movement right now to push us off animal-based foods. And what you should realize at this point in your walk, if you've opened your eyes up, if you're awake instead of woke, then almost everything being pushed is the exact opposite of the solution that we need. Almost, not everything, but almost everything. Animal-based systems are the means by which we can restore nutrient density to our food, even if you happen to be a vegan or a vegetarian. It's animal-based systems. It's the cycling of nutrients. Back into the earth, combined with things like, oh, I don't know, the freaking carbon cycle. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big believer in the CO2 hysteria, but I am a believer that mankind has screwed up the planet badly. I do think there's a lot of gases that we're putting up into the atmosphere, like methane, for instance, that are far more detrimental than the, than the, 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 uh, the, the molecule that you exhale every time you breathe that actually is plant food. But carbon goes in the soil, right? And one of the great ways to cycle carbon into the soil is to use animal-based systems in which to do it. And so I just look at this, and I, I, I keep saying, you give me a 1,000 acres and say restore it. Restore it to a thriving ecosystem. And you say, do you think you can do it? You give me any kind of a reasonable budget to operate on, and my answer is absolutely yes. If you say, but you can't use animals in the system, I don't even want the project. I don't even want to do it. It's such an asinine thing to do that I wouldn't want to do it. Animals in these ecosystems. And there's a thousand ways to do them. And so you have to ask yourself, though, if you, if you struggle with this idea that animal-based systems are more regenerative than non-animal-based systems, is there a healthy ecosystem in the world, a significantly healthy ecosystem that stays healthy in the absence of animals? And I think real quick you'll go, well, well, no. Well, no, like animals live everywhere. So the only place animals tend not to live in the world today isn't even the suburbs. We have we have wild critters living all over the suburbs. We have freaking coyotes invading the suburbs and eating people's cats. No, the only place that we really 
push animals out are 40,000 acre fields of soybeans. That's, that's where we have a lack of animal life. So if we're going to have regenerative, restorative systems, we can move faster with animals. Excluding them makes everything worse. And channeling their behavior makes everything better faster. So that's what this story is really about. And you're going to see more of this. This is going to be the, the biggest push that most people won't comprehend that's going on right in front of them over the next 10 years to push people away from animal-based foods. And I heard a, a well-intended vegan at John Bush's uh, conference last week say that, you know, it's all a conspiracy and they don't really even want us to eat the Beyond Meat, whatever, that, that this idea of us, you know, using animals for food has been around for 10,000 years and the elite established it 10,000 years ago. Dude, you need to work on your paleoanthropology. Humans have been eating meat for as long as we've been humans. We used our big-ass brain to figure out how to use tools and traps and weapons to kill shit. And, and humanity's use of meat goes back as long as humanity's been around. Even when we couldn't kill it or capture it, we were scavengers on the plains of Africa, busting bones open and harvesting marrow and remains from lions that we chased away. Get a life. Um, I find vegans to be, in general, not individually. I, every person needs to be judged individually on their actions, their words, and are the two consistent. But overall, on an aggregate average, I find vegans to be the most delusional people on the planet. If you're one, I'm sorry. But you are. Because everything confirms you're right and nothing can ever demonstrate that you're wrong. And this is this is uh, probably the result of eating that way long term. Sorry, not sorry. So next up, somebody asked me, how can they cook steak like a pro? Like really make a great steak. And here's what they said. Cooking challenge for you, Jack. And let me get this up here. A little bit cut off. How to cook steak in an apartment slash condo with a small kitchen and limited equipment. I've started spending windows in Florida in a condo with a very small kitchen and no grill option. I want to continue my efforts to eat keto, so I'm looking for a way to cook steak on an electric stove or oven. Space is tight, so any equipment needs to be multifunctional. All right, so I'm going to tell you, like, the easy button answer that everybody's already expecting me to say is sous vide. And the only thing you need for sous vide is a little piece of equipment about this long that fits in a drawer. That's a sous vide circulator. It is multifunctional. We won't get into that today, but you can look up sous vide and see the ones I recommend on my website. And I give like a whole list of other stuff that you can do with them. Uh, but I'm going to give you a way that you don't probably need anything you don't have right now, except maybe your cookware sucks. But let's start off with the sous vide thing. What do you need to cook a sous vide? You need a circulator and a deep pot. You probably already have a deep pot. <clears throat> the beauty of this is, and I think that for sous vide, as good as a steak can be, the biggest reason for somebody asking a question like this to get into it is, even though it's a professional technique, it's also a training wheels technique. It actually is difficult. If you're a person that likes your steak, a perfect medium rare, say 136 degrees, <clears throat> especially with a thinner cut, using a frying pan and or a broiler, <clears throat> to nail that temperature perfectly and not screw it up. 
Now, the thicker the piece of meat, we can get into doing like reverse sears and stuff like that. The more you can use something like a meter thermometer, a little thermometer you stick in your steak, <clears throat> and you can watch that temperature come up, pull before you hit your temperature, and let it rest and nail that temperature fairly well. But it takes time and experience to do that. If you like your, I don't care what temperature you like your steak at. In fact, I would say the more you want your steak well done, Barry needs to calm down, man. He's gone over load here. <laughs> Just mess with you, Barry. Um, th then the more you want to do sous vide, actually. So I like sous vide because I can get a perfect, you know, medium rare. But my wife likes steaks more of a well done, which I hate doing, but I love her and she's my wife, so I'll do it. The only way I know to take a steak to a well done and really keep it juicy, if you do it the right way, is sous vide. And the way I do that is I cook our steaks at 136 degrees. Done. Like till they're both done. I pull mine out and I dial hers up to 145. I let it run another 15 minutes and I sear them both. So that would be one way with only adding one more thing. Let me just give you the, uh, the kind of way to do this though without having to do anything special with anything more than your electric stove. Now, would I prefer a gas stove? Sure. Sure. And you might find that kind of like one of those induction cooktops that sits on a stove actually will have better control for you than your electric stove. But what you, you first need is a really good pan, a really good pan. And I am going to, I'm going to, to put in the show notes for a, an electric stove, a stick free pan made by Ninja, the Ninja Foodie Nothing Sticks or what have you pan. It's fairly thick. You're going to have to wait longer than my go to, which is carbon steel, right? For it to heat up. But especially with an electric stove, it's going to hold its heat better because it's thicker and it's definitely a better option for your situation probably than cast iron, especially living in a small apartment wanting quick cleanup, et cetera, and having to ask this question. If you were, Right for cast iron, you wouldn't have to ask this question. So you're going to bring that pot pan up to temperature. And I'm going to recommend that you also, if you really want to take things to another level, you pick up some Wagyu beef fat. And I'll put a link in the notes that will be linked to from the video notes below, if you're on the video, to the audio notes today for a product that will be coming to my T-SPAS page soon. I just haven't brought it there yet that I found about from a guy named Guga at Guga Foods. And he also has a second channel called Suvi Everything. Big giant tub of Wagyu beef fat, all free range. It's freaking awesome stuff. And uh, I won't answer that question because it's been answered for you there, Barry. Okay, so tablespoon of that. Before you're going to cook, take your steak, give it a nice coating, a nice coating, probably more than you think, but not too much, of Redmond's salt. Sit it on. You could do it just on a plate or something like that. Throw it in the refrigerator, leave it for a couple hours at least. Doing it the night before and cooking it the next day and giving it 24 hours to do that and draw the excess moisture out will, will do even better for you. Season it from there. When you go to cook it, now season it. Also take it out of the refrigerator, let it come up to room temp for about a half an hour. Since I have dogs that will eat shit right off my countertop, I put it in the microwave. I always remind my wife, if you go to use the timer on the microwave, make sure you use the timer don't microwave the steaks. They're in there. That way the dogs can't get them and flies don't land on them. So that's where I put mine to let it come up to temperature. And then 
You season it how you want to. I really like the Lowry seasoned pepper that I've been recommending lately, but onion and garlic powder together are great. Black pepper, always season it how you want it. Get that pan coming up to temp. It's like a medium heat. You might, you have to play with your electric stove. I don't know how good it is. And you want, if you can do, you want to take this to another level, get some fresh rosemary and fresh thyme. I mean, like sprigs of, of both and then crush two garlic cloves and throw that in your pan. Like don't even take the paper off. Don't chop it up. Just smash them and throw them in the, the hot oil and throw the, 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 the thyme and the rosemary in there as well. All right. Get it, get it hot, not smoking hot, but good and hot. Lay your steak into there. When you lay that steak in there, it should sound like if it doesn't, as soon as you hear it's not going to, set it back on a board, bring the temp up more. You want it to sizzle and you want it to hiss the entire time, or you are not frying and searing, you are boiling. And cook that one side till you get a good crust on it. And you'll usually have a nice fat cap on one side of it. Pick the steak up and lay that fat cap on the um, down. Hold it with your tongs for a little bit. Start to render that fat out at that point. Put it into the fat that you already have in there. It'll render quicker. Then lay it back down on the other side, sear the other side, and cook it until it's to your desired doneness. The best way to do that is going to be with a meat thermometer. And the flavor that comes in there from the thyme, the garlic, and the rosemary in the grease itself is amazing. When you're close to done, throw about two tablespoons of real butter in there, right? And that's going to make it brown even more. Melt that down, tilt your pan, and spoon the Wagyu fat and brown butter over the top of the steak. Give it one more flip and one more spoon. Do this early enough that you don't overcook it adding that step. And you want to pull your steak at a lower temperature than you want to eat it by about three to five degrees, depending on how thick it is and your experience over time. You also can sear a big, thick steak, put like a meter thermometer in it, throw it in your oven and finish it in there. There's a lot of ways, but basically just cooking it on a stovetop in a good quality pan in a good fat like Wagyu or you can, you don't have to do the Wagyu. It's just really awesome when you do it's It's taking things to another level. But one of the biggest things that I've learned over the years, when you really want to make that steak have the crust and the flavor and everything going on it is the, the sprig. Like I grow rosemary just so I can go out and cut, you know, a hunk of rosemary about four inches long, right on the stem needles and all in there. Time, same thing, like time usually bundle that together with like a little piece of cotton cordage and uh, like four or five sprigs of thyme and then the smashed garlic. And then don't throw that garlic away, right? Basically, the, the herbs have done their thing. They can go in the compost. You take that garlic out, then go ahead and unwrap it, chop it up and use it for something else later, including, including throw a little more butter in there, throw the garlic back in there. Make a brown butter garlic sauce and put that over something like cauliflower rice as a side. So that's probably more time than I should have spent on that one. But remember always, if I didn't do the survival podcast, I would probably do the cooking with Jack podcast. It is one of my true passions. And I will add those extra links for you in the audio notes when I get done. And I'll add a link to Google's uh, two channels too, down in the resources part of the links, because man, I really like that dude. And what I like about Guga, and again, he has Guga Foods and sous vide everything, is sometimes his experiments, when he has his people try it, they're like, nah, man, no, nah, you, you, you shouldn't have done that. That was bad. 
And I don't trust people that have these YouTube channels where they're pretending like they're experimenting at all and everything works and everything's great. Like if you're really pushing the envelopes, you have to have some swings and misses. You have to have some like it was okay but not worth it and total don't do this. And he has those and he always shows them. And I think that gives him, uh, to me, a big sense of integrity. All right, next, let's move on from there. Um, Somebody wrote me an email. Uh, Let me see if I can find the email. Yeah, Steven said, using wood chips for chicken deep litter and composting. Follow up on the question from Compost Workshop a few weeks ago. Jack, could I use wood chips as my chicken bedding all year? Composted the way that you showed us. Would the compost still be ready in two to three months? Would it take longer for the wood chips to break down? I'm trying to find free sources of carbon. And these are an option. Thanks, Stephen. Right. Okay. So first of all, let's look at it this way. Let's say that you do this. You you go out and you get these wood chips and you get them completely for free and you don't have an expense on the input. And let's say that you set up your composting and you do it exactly the way that I showed you, which is basically we take all our extra nutrient. We kind of layer it in with all the, the, the nutrient out of the, the chicken house. We put it in these rings that are about four foot in uh, diameter, which is I don't know how much the circumference is, but they're about as big as I want them to be. We throw some pipes in them. We soak it down really well. We wrap the outside in weed blocker to hold moisture in and we keep them nice and damp and moist and we never turn it and we just let them do their thing with the airflow through them and it turns into beautiful compost. It will work. How long will it take? I don't know. You know what I'm going to say, right? It depends. How how broken down is the wood chips when you use them? Are they fresh? Do they come from a dead tree, a living tree? What? What kind? I don't know. But let's say instead of taking about three months is what mine takes to really be in a state where I want to use it. Let's say it takes five. So what? You have zero input cost. What I would do is your compost, as long as you don't let it dry out, cannot sit too long. In fact, the longer it sits, the better. So what I would do, you know, I make my compost generally in, in, in December between Christmas, between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. This year I waited till mid January because I wanted to do a little workshops a little later than I wanted, but it's okay. What I would do is just pick the time to do your compost and give yourself, because this is a once a year compost is what I'm doing, right? I would pick, like, let's say, give yourself a few months of cushion. Give yourself five months until you really want to use that compost. And if that means you make compost in August, then you make compost in August. I will tell you, for those of you that came here to this workshop, because I found biochar, rediscovered biochar, actually, because I've had a kiln for years, and because I didn't incorporate the biochar directly into this, I'm going to be making a lot more compost this year than I normally do, and I will be primarily using as my feedstock wood chips. And I think that there's like one of the things about wood chips is you're more into a woody mass material for your carbon. So you're going to get a much more kind of fungal uh, compost. And it's not that it wouldn't be good in the garden. It's really going to be geared more towards shrubs, bushes, vines, forestry. So I think that's a good thing, too. And the more we can bring in fungal elements to our soil, the better. And the way I do the composting Man, it's the most fungal thing I've ever seen. While it's cooking hot, it's flushing fungus out of the sides. It's it's kind of crazy. And uh, so I would just do it, and I wouldn't worry about how long it'll take. Just like I said, if you're going to do what I do, which is fill the coop, fill the coop, fill the coop, 
deep litter, completely wreck out the coop, and and then re um and then restock the coop with a new layer and start it all over again. Just give yourself the delta you need. And John, you'll find out what it is soon, but the answer is yes, it is similar to the trivium uh and quadrivium of old. I don't know what the quadrivium is. I don't know that, so I don't know. It's just something I thought about today. What is the core that I want to teach a kid? We'll, we'll get to it soon. We'll get to it soon. Hold on. Relax. We're not quite there yet. I want to talk about the fact that Jack Spirit goes a freaking bonnet, man. I thought I could. One guy right. I thought I could trust your advice, but anybody that's out there getting lit like that and messing up their brain, I can't take anything you say seriously ever again. Dude, I don't tell anybody to use cannabis, but I think maybe you need to use cannabis. You need to freaking relax. This sounds like a person that couldn't shit a greased BB. That's what it sounds like. You, like, I don't know how you have a bowel movement. A greased up BB, like for a BB gun, a kid's BB gun, 17 caliber. I don't know how you squeak that out of your uptight ass. Seriously, what the hell? I can't, so anybody that ever uses cannabis, they can't ever take anything that they say seriously ever. Okay, you know what? That person, I would say, when you can go toe-to-toe with me intellectually, we could talk about how much damage the use of cannabis has been to my brain. Uh, I I hate sounding like that. Um, Andy McKay says, the quadrivium, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. Not No, no, but similar. You would be able to do all that because of it. Anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there relaxed. Anyway, I just kind of wanted to point out that there is an entire – overlap generation again it's mainly boomers who should be like the first ones to toke right because you guys made made the thing about the stoners and all like you boomers and your protests vietnam and getting high all the time like you have no no place to stand on this as a generation anyway uh and gen xers who were the ones that were old enough and young enough to truly be exposed to the propaganda of Reagan's war on drugs. And one of the most dis- dis- disappointing things, like being disappointed in politicians is like days that end in why I get that. But of all the things that, that Ronald Reagan said in speeches, and some of them were pretty damn good speeches, whether he lived up to them or not, um, was that one of the most dangerous drugs there was in the world was marijuana. Now, so what was done is a false equivalency was drawn between things like marijuana, crack cocaine, methamphetamine, right? Like, this is one of the most ridiculous things. And when I was a kid, they literally had, you know, anti-drug programs in the school, and they would have these experts, so like the DEA come around and tell you, you know what? People will tell you that marijuana won't kill you, and they'll smoke it right in front of you, and they won't die. And then that'll prove that it won't kill you, and hey... It won't kill you. And then this is like a threat from your government to children. I was like in sixth grade the first time I had heard this. But actually, we know it's bad for you, so we don't want you guys smoking it. So we're trying to stop the drug dealers. So we fly planes over their fields and we spray them with toxins that kill it. But sometimes they don't care, and they harvest it anyway, and then they sell it to you, and they're really evil because they know that that chemical might make you really sick or kill you. Do you know what they were really saying? Do you know what they were really saying? We want you to obey us so badly, we're willing to put a chemical on a substance we know you might consume that could kill you, make you sick, or give you cancer. Gay government. 
The people that are losing their shit because I had a dude on to talk about cannabis. This is the bullshit that you believe in. Yeah, the D.A.R.E. program here from Pippinized. Yeah, the D.A.R.E. program. That's what it was called. I remember that shit. I remember it in my health class. Do you remember the commercial? This is your brain. They put the egg in the pan. This is your brain on drugs, man. The choline's going to give you a blood clot. Not the shit that we told you was good for you, but the shit that, that we, that's been good for your great grandparents for all, ever and all eternity. Um, we don't even have a clue yet. The wonders within the cannabis family of plants. This is what they can do for us. As we talked about yesterday, everything from building houses and plastics that are truly biodegradable, renewable plastics, we can actually replace most of what the petrochemical industry does using true hemp-grade cannabis. And then what it can do from a standpoint of medicinal use. And as I said yesterday, and I thought it was clear, I'm not a guy that gets baked. Now, I'll be honest, like, Back in the 80s, before I joined the Army, when I was in high school, growing up where I grew up, we smoked pot on weekends all the time. We didn't do it all week long because we didn't have any freaking money and people didn't just give it away. You know, that's another thing about this war on drugs bullshit. I was promised free freaking drugs that everywhere I turned around, somebody like, hey, kid, man, want some drugs? First one's free. Other than a party or two with friends, right, where they weren't dealers. No one ever offered me free drugs. The government promised me free drugs. I never got free drugs. I want reparations. I want reparations right now. Where are my drugs? Ghost of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan Jr., where are my drugs? Your daddy promised me. I want, no, seriously. This is nonsense. We have a plant here. We have a plant, and it does amazing things. And I can tell you that specifically, what we were advising yesterday was the minimal dose to give the desired result. And I can tell you personally that I've been working on projects and gotten stuck and taking like a small amount through an edible and had to unlock creativity. creativity. And all of the technology you're using, all that shit from like Apple and Microsoft and all that runs the world today, those guys, not marijuana, not cannabis, right? Those jackasses, they were microdosing LSD while they were pumping the war on drug into our homes. I, 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 I really, really, I don't even want to go any further. I'll just say, if you are still stuck in that world, no one's telling you to do drugs. And no one's telling you to use cannabis. And I want to separate that shit right now. To me, using cannabis responsibly isn't doing drugs any more than Having a glass of wine on Friday night with your, your steak is boozing, right? This, this false conflation is just ridiculous. And it's because some of y'all ain't had a good education and you're, man, Gelman amnesia. You guys need to really start remembering that these people that tell you this shit, you don't trust anything they say except the things that you feel good about trusting. And maybe you should trust nothing. I'm going to let it go. Uh, Pip and I said coffee is a drug. Coffee is a plant that contains a substance called caffeine that can be used as a drug. Let's be specific with our language. All right, let's move on because I'm only going to, I just, it, it, where have you people been that are upset, man? Where, where, oh yeah, Pim and I said, where are my drugs from Halloween? Yeah, I was always supposed to get drugs on Halloween too. Never got no drugs on Halloween. Never got an apple with a razor blade. Did anybody remember that shit? The scare tactics? When your children 
get their candy. This is 1980s, right? When they get their candy on Halloween, you shouldn't let them eat any of it. Go to your local hospital who has volunteered to allow the candy to go through the x-ray machine so we can x-ray and radiate your children's candy before they consume it to make sure nobody put pins in their apples or razor blades in their candy. And there was all these reports of it, but nobody knew anybody who knew anybody that knew anybody that even knew someone that once knew someone that it actually happened to. Scare tactics are nothing, and I mean nothing new. No way I can keep up with the stream of comments today. We are really cooking on that. Anyway, moving on. When a doctor says the quiet part out loud. This comes from James. James says, Jack, thank you for taking the gloves off. James, I was unaware that I ever put the gloves on. I think I've been bare knuckle beating the shit out of people since the beginning of this. But I appreciate the sentiment. He says, here's an antidote that validates everything you said. My dad had severe gout. During COVID, he was having difficulty getting his Chinese source medication. I spent five minutes searching the Internet and suggested he begin supplementing with turmeric and magnesium, which cost him $15 a month. Hmm. $15 a month. He told me these were both very effective when he told his doctor. His doctor responded with something like, yes, those are known to be effective. But the drug companies won't let us tell anybody about them because they don't make any money on it. He inadvertently said the quiet part out loud. For some reason, my dad is still seeing the doctor. Keep fighting the good fight, James. I completely agree with this. That's part of why I put it on the air. But I would also say that I want all of you guys, and and I thought this fit nicely with the talk about cannabis, to make sure you're not engaging in what I just referred to as replacement therapy. So I believe that there's a lot of great things that cannabis can do for us. I really do. I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful plant. We have an endocannabinoid system, which means we literally have a system that makes and uses cannabinoids. And we have receptors that are specifically designed for this. It's like 130-something cannabinoids that exist within the cannabis plant, and they all play different roles. It is highly likely that we can cure very specific diseases or at least mitigate them through the use of this. And that we need more serious medical research. And even in the weird, semi-legalized, somewhat decriminalized market, it's still very difficult to do real research on cannabis or anything that doesn't profit the drug company. So it's going to be up to the decentralized nature of the environment to, to, to figure out what works for whom and how, right? Um, but with that too, you don't have a deficiency in cannabis. You don't, you might have a disruption to your endocannabinoid system that supplementing a cannabinoid might help balance maybe. But if you do, then there's a reason for that. So let's take the cannabis out of it. Let's take the, uh, turmeric out of it. And let's go something really, really simple to understand this. So what people will say when they get an herbal medicine is something like, well, if you have a headache, Instead of taking aspirin, use white willow bark. So a headache is not a it's not a deficiency in aspirin. It's not a deficiency in Tylenol. It's not a deficiency in Motrin. And it's not a deficiency in white willow bark. If you have a headache out of the blue and you hardly ever have a headache, I don't care what one of those substances you use. I'm not anti-mo I'm not anti-regular use of Motrin because I know what it does to your internal organs and especially your kidneys. I get that. 
But I mean, if you take a couple of Motrin because you have a headache and it goes away and you get through that, it doesn't constantly come back. I don't care. I don't care whether a, 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 a little bit of CBD oil did it or some CBG oil or whatever. I don't care because it's a, it's a one off event and that is an acute issue. And so we need to start looking at a different lens for things that make things more clear to us. So if somebody is tired and it's an acute case of fatigue, acute means just happened, right? And the cause of the acute fatigue is lack of sleep. What is the cure for their fatigue every time? Sleep. Person was up till three o'clock in the morning for some reason. They had to be at work the next day. They get home from the work, from work at six o'clock at night, dead ass tired. What's the best thing they can do to cure their fatigue? Go to bed. If a person is always tired, now we've moved into the world of chronic. We move into the world of chronic. Chronic fatigue. Something else is wrong. It's not a natural state. Could be diet based. Could be chronic fatigue syndrome, which this is a word that they made up for people who are always tired and they don't know why. They don't know why. And the odds are whenever they have any of these. And if you think you have chronic fatigue syndrome and you get pissed off at me for this, I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying that actually isn't the answer to what's wrong with you. So all of these syndromes, all these things that they lump together generally are not like. So if you have. If you have a, a bacterial infection, then we know what you have and we know how to treat it with a drug. And in, 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 except for some of these resistant bacterium, it's pretty easy to treat with an antibiotic. And everybody that has that bacterial infection has that same infection. Or if you have a specific type of cancer, then everybody that has that cancer has that cancer. It's a specific type of cancer. And we can get into all different ways about why they might have it for different reasons, different ways to treat it. But they have the same cancer. When you say something like chronic fatigue syndrome, you've just made a lumped in group out of something that modern science has failed to identify the root cause of. And it's probably because it doesn't have a root cause. It has multiple root causes. And so I really encourage people when they look at alternative uh, forms of treatment, herbalism, et cetera, define what you're dealing with. Is it an acute issue? If I if I have a sprain, I damaged myself from falling down and bending my wrist back, then using something in addition to like rest, ice, compression and heat. Right. The ice method. Right. Elevation. Right. In addition to that, using something like a comfrey salve makes a hell of a lot of sense. If my hands hurt all the time, am I giving myself carpal tunnel with repetitive motion? Do I have some early onset version of arthritis? What's causing the problem? So that we're not always thinking that, and because we have been trained to think this way by pharmaceutical industry that likes us thinking this way because they always have something to offer us whenever we're uncomfortable, right? Moving on. Um, I thought this one was interesting. We'll go real fast through this one. But I, I talked about how um, the Lamborghini guy, I can't remember his name, guy that was running Lamborghini in the 70s said, we don't advertise on television because people that buy Lamborghinis don't sit around watching television. And I'm sure most people that own a Lamborghini own a television. And I'm sure occasionally they watch it. His point was the frequency they watch it at is so low that the advertising money would be poorly spent. They don't sit around. They don't come home from work, plop down 
on the couch, grab a bag of chips and watch TV for nine hours until they go to bed. That's not who they are. Well, this guy emailed me here. Marson said, I really like your metaphor about, uh, I'm no, that's not him. I missed, did I miss it? Oh, here it is. Here, it's Thomas. So I live in North Richland Hills, which has mixed income. I go to the LA fitness gym in North Richland Hills. There's so many expensive cars in the parking lot. I have seen a Ferrari, several AMG, Mercedes, and today a GT500. Across the street a bit, there's a Sonic. There's never any expensive cars at the Sonic. Not only because it's junk food, dude. It's because it's pretty shitty quality food. Uh, if you're mad now because you like Sonic, I'm going to tell you that's because you don't know what good food tastes like. And so I'm going to turn this into a diet discussion here in a second. But there is truth to this. Wealthy people tend tend to take care of themselves. And what I want to really discuss here briefly as well, though, is last week when I said this, I know this person and they're really rich and they're obese. And I, Yes, you know that person. But I'm going to tell you a couple things. One, that's an exception to the, the norm. Two, a lot of those people that live that way, that's what you would call born into money or found money. So their parents were rich. They became rich because their parents were rich. And they maybe their parents were kind of new money and didn't have this philosophy. Maybe they, they didn't work really hard for it. So it's a double generation of not working hard for their money, some kind of windfall money or something like that, uh, inheritance, et cetera. People that become wealthy across time through their actions generally take care of themselves because they couldn't perform at a level necessary to do it if they didn't. Now, sometimes people get older, tired. Uh, sometimes they become depressed. Sometimes people that were high performers, when they get everything they want, they're like, wow, I'm still not happy. And they fall into substance abuse and not taking care of them. That happens. But in general, if you want to succeed at a high level, you have to take care of your body at a high level. Go to the gym, work out at home, take a walk. I don't care what you do. You need to take care of yourself. You need to pay attention to what you're eating, and you need to pay attention to what you're consuming and the substance you're using and all of that stuff. Now, um, additionally, you need to realize that when you say something like, well, I know this rich guy who's fat, what you're actually saying is it's okay for me to be a slob because he's a slob and he made it. You're making an excuse. Please be careful, folks, making these excuses for yourself. People like comforting lies far more than uncomfortable truths. We all know that. And the most deceptive comforting lies are the ones that we tell ourselves. That's, an, that's what this was really all about. Now, same episode, I was talking about how there is a limit to how much positive thinking, the real law of attraction, et cetera, making a plan and sticking to it, right? Setting goals, achieving them, and setting new goals and adjusting. No matter how much of a high-performance person you are, there is a limit to what the positive thought process can do. That's the light side. The light side has a limitation. The dark side has no limitation. That what you can do to your, to destroy yourself and others with a negative thought process is inherently unlimited. And about the only thing that limits what your negative thoughts can do is eventual death. Barry says, what if I like being fat? Then Barry, you're deceiving yourself. 
you're lying to yourself and you don't. There. I said it because somebody had to. Maybe you needed to hear that. I don't know. Anyway, he's very like being fat. Yeah, you don't. Don't pretend you do. Um, there's no really limit there to how far you can go till you kill yourself, either directly or indirectly. And even that's not a limit because you'll leave people behind who's, who, who, who your loss continues to damage even after you're gone. And due to what we would call some, like the butterfly effect, you have no idea how far that negative can cascade. It can go on for generations after you die. Who knows who you destroyed and what that destroyed and what that destroyed. Well, uh, Marson summed this up in a way that I think is even more interesting. He said, I really like your metaphor about light side and dark side, and light magic and dark magic in episode uh, 3229. So maybe think about positive thinking is like flying. It does not happen on its own. You have to put effort into it. But negative thinking is like falling. Once you start, it gains momentum on its own. and You have to work on stopping it, do it long enough, and then splat. I'm not going to add much to that. If I need to add much to that, you're probably not ready to hear it. But it, it, it's, it is very, very true that once you begin to cascade and fall, all you have to do to keep falling is don't stop. Don't put any effort into it, and you can fall and fall and fall. We've all had people in our lives who have chosen a self-destructive path, and uh, we've watched it. Barry, dude, you, you protest too much. Barry now says Winnie the Pool was chubby, wore crop tops, and loved himself, and I can too. I think you should love yourself enough to take care of yourself. And Winnie the Pooh is a fucking cartoon bear, dude. So you can keep making your case, but if you keep making your case after that, the only person you're talking to here really is yourself, and you don't really believe your own bullshit. Take care of yourself, bro. You're worth it, right? If you loved yourself like you should, you take care of yourself. You take positive actions with are like flying instead of letting yourself fall, destroying your life and your health all along the way, and not even knowing, not even knowing what you're giving up to the positive because you can't see it from the place that you are because the positive requires climbing and you can't see over the thing until you pull yourself up. And as long as you're fat, you can't pull yourself up. I'm sorry, bro. That's it. You know, Jeff Bailey says being a little chubby is fine, but fat don't be fat and useless and sick. And I think there's all different body types and endomorph is never going to turn into an ectomorph and back and forth. Right. People that would maybe look a little bit. That's not what I'm talking about. Y'all know that. All right. So I want to break down what I have. I, I coined this phrase this morning in my head. Somebody may have used it. They're better. Better. There may be another version of it that's even better than mine. But I was thinking about what I would tell somebody that was concerned that they wouldn't give the proper education to their kiddo if they tried to homeschool. And, and the term I came up for it with came up with for it is the dual trivium. Basically, six things. Right. So let's talk what the trivium is first in classical education, grammar, rhetoric and logic. And many people say that thing, but they don't if they actually haven't ever really thought about it. It's just a nice sounding thing that they uh, they like to say and uh, to, 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 to feel like they're the person that like they, they think it's a nice idea. And what they mean is they want us to start teaching that to our kids, but they've never learned from it. They've just kind of gone on and got a shit to do. They might not have really thought about what the point 
of grammar, rhetoric, and logic is, or what it really means. I like to sum things up as simply as possible. I call grammar the ability to learn. The ability to learn. And it's, that's a little bit limiting because there's other ways to learn other than through grammar. But if we, you think about what grammar is, grammar is an understanding of the language, right? The ability to form sentences. And if you can form a sentence, you can read a sentence. If you can communicate with a sentence, then you can understand a sentence. And today with the Internet, if you can read and write, you have access to learn just about anything within your capability. So that's that's grammar. And we should definitely be. Te- and I think the public school system, to agree, teaches grammar, maybe to a level higher than is even necessary. How much conjugation do we really need to do? How many sentences do we need to break down into pieces, parts before we've done it enough? But, you know, we tend to do that. Most people that go to even the state school do learn to read. Maybe what they're reading is the problem or the channeling of making them read the things that they want read the way that they want them read. Then you have rhetoric, rhetoric. Now, rhetoric's a word that if you walked up to 100 people on the street and asked a simple question, is rhetoric a negative word, a positive word, or a neutral word? I think a significant number of people would immediately say it's a negative word because of the way that the word is used in society today, empty rhetoric, which is not actually an abuse of the word, but it's been... Painted in people's mind is rhetoric is bad. Rhetoric is is the ability to convey ideas. Rhetoric is the ability to teach. Rhetoric is the ability to sell an idea, to make a case for a thing. Rhetoric is your ability to orotate and communicate to somebody else in a way that allows them to understand the ideas that you're trying to convey. I And, and uh, Faith says rhetoric is neutral. Of course it is. Because it could be empty rhetoric, it could be effect, effective rhetoric, right? You need a modifier, right? You need good grammar to understand the word rhetoric. The most important thing, and this is the piece that we don't teach children in our school system, and I believe it's actually the handicap that is done on purpose, and 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 that is logic. And logic is one of those things that like there's all types of ways to define it, but my simple definition, just like my definition of sales is transfer of belief, right? Try to make it as simple as possible. My definition of logic is the ability to discern what you don't know from what you do know. So I'll give a, a real world example, and it's actually what led me down this path for discussion. As you guys know, I've gotten really excited about biochar lately, and one of the things we can do with biochar is we can feed it to our animals, our dogs, our cats. We can eat it ourselves. Uh, Bob Wells from New England Biochar, every time he makes a batch, he eats a little bit to see if it's good. I think it's more of a, it's like to point out that it's non-toxic and safe. Um, but they also say, like, if you're using charcoal and you're taking a pharmaceutical drug, you should space that out as far as possible because it's so good at absorbing toxins and drugs are toxins that if you do need a therapeutic dose, it can actually reduce the efficacy of the drug. So I started thinking, you know what we should do? I make all this biochar now. We should, I should have, make some up for my wife in a little cup. And she feeds the dogs every day and say, give each dog, you know, a teaspoon or a half a teaspoon of biochar in their food every day. And I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We give these dogs uh, their, their, their heartworm medication once a month. 
And it's a persistent medication that stays in the dog's system, right, for 30 days. And you don't want your dog getting heartworms. It's a horrible, horrible fate for a canine. And so I'm not big on drugs, but ivermectin is basically what most of them are. Some don't use it because certain dogs have a, 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 a genetic uh, danger in using ivermectin. Uh, but since it's in the system for that long, if I gave the dog biochar throughout the month, would it reduce the amount in their system? And I thought, Jack, you should ask a veterinarian. And I probably should confirm this with a veterinarian. But then I said to myself, self, what do you already know about biochar? And this ability to take up things from inside our system. And what I said is, self, what you know is it doesn't help with poisoning if the poison's already come out of the digestive tract and is in the bloodstream and the organs. It only works in the gut itself and primarily in the stomach. So as a complete buffer, all you would need to do, my belief, and I should confirm this with a vet, is the day before, the day of, and the day after, the dog takes that to be completely safe. Don't give them any biochar. By then, it's passed, you know, whatever's going to pass through the system is passed through the system. It's into their organs and their bloodstream, and it would have a net neutral effect and not really matter. That's an example of, I, do, I don't even still know that yet, right? But what I know leads me to a logical interpretation of the most likely fact. Wouldn't it be great if we educated our children this way? Except before you think so, and before I give you the other side, the other three, think about what it means. Jimmy, you need to eat your greens with your steak. Why, Daddy? Well, Timmy, you need to get your vitamins and minerals from your greens. But, Daddy, I listened to Dr. Ken Berry, and he said that one little piece of this beef has way more nutrients and vitamin minerals in it than, than, than an entire uh, basket of those greens. And here's the report that says that he's right. So I don't want to eat my greens, Daddy. You want to deal with that every day as a parent? Yeah? No? Okay. You want to deal that with that as a teacher in a public school system? Hell no. We can't have free thought. We can't have independent thinking. We can't have children using grammar to learn, logic to extrapolate, and rhetoric to communicate the conclusions that they have and actually challenge the status quo. That's dangerous when you're in charge. And before I go on, let me explain what this is. And while you'll never fix that system, the system is the problem. And I don't mean that in generality. I mean it in a very almost evil overlord way. It is as much a system designed to produce the same results, no matter who you put into it, as Henry Ford's assembly line was made to make a black Model T come out the other end, no matter who you hired. Do you understand that that's what Henry Ford built? That was the genius of the assembly line. We bring Bill in, and we teach Bill how to bolt on a fender. Takes about 10 minutes to teach Bill how to bolt on a fender. Doesn't even matter, though, if it took four weeks to teach proper fender bolting. Once I have the fender bolter in the assembly line, the fender will be put on the car the same way every time. And if I build a business like that the right way, I can hire somebody to make sure the fender bolters bolt fenders, and the brake installer installs brakes, and the wheel installer installs wheels, and the guy, when the thing comes off the end, that wipes it down and makes sure there's no scuffs on it, does his job, and the cars will come out in any color you want, as long as it's black. That's what Henry Ford said about the Model T. 
Now, think about this from a school system. The power elite, people want to take this back to the 1800s, and there's a lot of truth in that, the Prussian education model law. That's the foundation. But the true version of this system that we have today really came on board right before, through World War I years, leading up to World War II, and from the post-World War II period to today is where we've really had this system in place. Some things are better and some things are worse than they were 30 years ago, but it's about 70 to 100 years that we've really had this system of compliance training. I like the word comply. That's a good word there, one step. Compliance training in place. And what I mean by that is all schools pretty much work the same way now, even a lot of private schools. So when you send Timmy or Tammy to kindergarten, they have a kindergarten teacher, maybe a little teacher's aide there to make sure the kids don't fall asleep or do go to sleep when they're supposed to. But they stay in one room all day long and they learn C-spot running all their other shit. And maybe that stays pretty much the same way. First grade, second grade, somewhere around second or third grade maybe fourth in some places, you get two teachers. You sit in one room for half the day, and then you switch rooms, and kids come, and the teacher teaches the same shit twice a day. Yeah. Remember that? Remember when you first got your second teacher, and you thought you were a big kid now? Right? You went from this room to that room, and back and forth, you had two teachers. Yeah. Well, then what happens? Get you up into the junior high range. And from there all the way through high school, you have a different teacher for every freaking thing. And you sit down, you learn one subject, and the bell goes ding, 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 ding. And you run outside, and you get to be a human being for four minutes. And then you sit your ass in another seat, and another teacher teaches the same thing. And most teachers teach the same class six, seven, eight times a day, or they teach two different classes four times a day each. Once you've got that much of it in place, you add administrators to it. And it's like a marketing machine. So if I set up this go instead of an assembly line for for Model T's, if I set up a website and it's got a form on it and says, hey, give me your information. I'll give you these 10 things you didn't know in a report. And you start you, you put your information in there. Then you're going to get an email that says, here's the information you asked for. I kept my word to you. Also, that page is going to refresh your new page and says, right now, since you're new, you can get this thing for a little bit of money. And if you act today, you'll also get this other thing with it for the same amount of money. And this is awesome. You should buy it. You say yes or no. Doesn't matter. Now, over the next, let's say, 30 days, every other couple, three days, you're going to get an email from me telling telling you something else you didn't know that relates to the report I gave you. I might even regurgitate the report and expand each of the ideas. And every once in a while into that funnel, I'm going to dump, hey, you can get this thing for me. And I'm going to start converting people into buyers. And some portion they go in are going to come out as buyers. And then I'm going to start moving buyers up a tier. This person bought a $25 thing. Now I want to sell them three $25 things. Or I want to sell them a $25 monthly subscription. Or I want to sell them a $250 thing or a $2,500 thing. And once I build that system, if I figure out that every person that comes into that system gives me an aggregate average of profit of 5 bucks. I mean, some people I make nothing on. They're zeros. They drag the aggregate down. Some people I make $1,000 on, but I make five bucks. Here's the question, guys. If I make a $5 pure profit, pure profit after all my expenses are paid, how many people can I market and advertise to at a cost of $4 per person that ends up on that website? That's a little hard, tricky one, right? But you know what you already know. You should be able to use logic to figure it out. 
The answer is all of them. As long as I can keep the price to $4, I can buy all the traffic I want to that website with the same net result. I now have a metric and I have a system in place that does a thing. All I have to do is market the thing now. It's an infinity model. I only make a dollar a piece off people that come in through that marketing funnel, but I can buy it forever. People are snapping to it. Now, then my goal would be to push that, but that's a business principle, to push that number down and pay as little as possible so I can make as much profit as possible or to run out my efficiency so my profit margin grows, whatever. But I've made a system. That's the public education system. Change the teachers, change the school board, change the principal. You might have better or worse, depending on how you define those names, versions of schools, but the same net result, compliance training. And the oligarchs and the technocrats set that system up 100 years ago, and all they do is little tweaks on it, just like I would do on my marketing funnel. And there's no fixing it. So that's why you want to homeschool. So we did the trivium, the classic trivium. I think we explained that well. Let's look at the next thing. I call it context. Now, I'm wondering, as I explain this, if there's anybody in the live stream that would come up with a typical subject classification that we all took in school that would fall under context. If anybody has an idea of what that word is. Let's say it's not science, but it's like science as a subject you would take in school. Context. What is con? Ah, there it is. I knew somebody would get it. I knew somebody would use logic to read my mind, it would seem. History. History is context. It's one of the most important things that I think we can teach, and we need to teach it as context, not as dry and boring history. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have people today, Founder of the country, Thomas Jefferson, he owned slaves. And we're judging Thomas Jefferson, who probably did more for liberty and freedom for all people, including black people enslaved in America, than most of the people talking shit about him are doing today. Because we're judging Thomas Jefferson, who lived in the 17, late 17 and early 1800s, on the standards that we have in 2023, does that mean that he wasn't wrong? That Of course he was wrong. Enslaving people is wrong. But you got to start thinking with context of the time. We cannot judge the past based on today. And we can't judge today based on the past. And we can't judge the future and what it will become based on the past or the present. All we can do is see the linkages between them. And it gives us context into the world that we're in today. And that's not about giving anybody a pass. That's not about giving, you know, can you use this to give Hitler a pass? No, absolutely not. But you could use it to freaking understand how that shit happened so that we would have context not to prevent it from happening again, because I promise you every single thing that you see in history that ever happened, some version thereof will happen again. That's why we really study history, for the context so we recognize what's coming and we can deal with it because no one's going to fix it for you. So we should teach context as part of this dual trivium, as I call it. We should also teach current knowledge, the current state of knowledge of all things in the world and how we derive that information. Does somebody have a subject that would be that, that we might use the word the words current knowledge rather than a classic subject everybody takes in school. 
It would be science, folks. I'm sure somebody was going to get there, but I got to keep rolling. And I do have a delay between when I say a thing and you guys uh, respond to me. It was quite a few seconds, actually. Yeah, but current knowledge. We should study current knowledge and how we obtained it. And we should also study how many times what was current knowledge was wrong so that we study science as the error detecting process that it is. If you teach this, then no one can ever look at science as a body that is a, a body of authority ever again. You can only say this is our current knowledge based on what we have. And it's, it's a lot like, you know, computer programming is a science. And what do we say about computer programming? Garbage in, garbage out. A lot of these scientific studies, that's exactly what it is. If we corrupt the data going in on one end or we corrupt the method going in on one end, we can produce a study that can be peer reviewed and say they did what they said and said what they did. The results are repeatable. This passes muster. It's still bullshit. It's still bullshit. If I design a nutritional study that begins with the preconception that eating fat from animals is bad, then the results will always prove that. I can always make the results prove that. I will always bias the study every single time. The only way I would be able to change that would be to actually test the theory through hypothesis and a control group. And I would have to isolate that thing and make only one variable. And we've never done it because they don't want the results. But that's what science is. So we need to teach, in my opinion, the classic trivium and context in the form of history and current knowledge in the form of science and how we develop knowledge and extrapolate knowledge with logic and how we communicate it with rhetoric and how we acquire it through grammar. Now, I got one more. I got one more. But do you see how this might not be conducive to a mass state-controlled education system that's designed to sit 30 children in a room to be quiet and do what they're told every day in eight different rooms all day long. Might they become unruly? Might they start using their grammar, rhetoric, and logic and analyzing things through the lens of current knowledge and detecting errors and using context to define how many times we thought we knew something before? Free and independent thinking people are difficult to govern. The last one, I call it universal language. Come on, guys, you can guess this one for me. I'll stall a little bit for you. Somebody in the live feed, what is the universal language? What is the universal language? Somebody's out there right now in their car listening to the audio five hours from screaming it at the radio. Okay, I got two answers. It's, it's, I actually got three, and I like one of them, even though it's not the right answer. Memes. <laughs> I love that. It's funny. But I have two answers, one from Tom, and then other people say the same thing, math, and one step closer says music. I knew somebody would say music. Isn't music math? Isn't music measure and tempo and tone and frequency? Isn't music actually mathematics? Or can we not use the language of mathematics to actually break down music into its components and understand how it works? It's mathematics, in my opinion. We need to teach kids math. And we need to teach math from that standpoint. It's the universal language to define everything in the universe, including music. 
And I don't think the kids need to learn. I don't think all kids need to learn or all people need to learn like advanced algebra and things like that. When I think of math and I go, what are the math things that I learned in high school that actually benefited me throughout my life and continue to do so today? Basic algebra, being able to break things down to their components and take what looked like complex and make it simple so that you could either get a specific answer, because that's the beauty of math, you can get a specific answer, or that you could immediately make a good estimate of a thing. And I made a lot of my money in my life in sales by being able to walk into a room, look at a blueprint and going, this is a $1.1 million job and being within 5% in about five minutes. And algebra is one of the ways you get there. So that was useful. I got a lot of math credits in high school, though, for accounting classes, accounting classes, business, math and statistics for somebody that's going into a business environment like I did was is incredibly value. And I still use it today. And then basic mathematics, multiply, add, subtract. I'm working with my my kid right now on the whole Pedmos thing, my grandkid, right, on how to how to break down equations that way and understand what goes first like that. Because once I once you have that, you know, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Right. Once you have that and you know how Excel works and you understand the business principles of business mathematics and statistics and accounting, you can build a financial model for anything. Now, the average kid that gets good grades in high school and comes out of school, do you think they can build a financial model? But you can teach your kid to build a financial model with this methodology. This is this is what I think we need to realize. Nothing I said is hard. It's an interesting way to break it down. But if we taught the ability to learn in the form of grammar, the ability to convey ideas and teach in the form of rhetoric, the ability to discern what you don't know from what you do in the form of logic, the ability to see in context in regards to history, the ability to identify the current knowledge and where it leads us in the future, how we got there and how often it's been incorrect and how we need to be careful with what we do with current knowledge through science and the universal language of mathematics taken to whatever level the individual needs to be able to communicate, learn and derive the things that they want. You don't really need to teach anything else. And the reason you don't need to teach anything else is whatever that individual wants to do. If it is in with their, within their intellectual capabilities, they will be able to achieve it. I, 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 I'll do things. I can give a writing assignment to my kiddo because he, my grandkid, because he doesn't like to write. So I was like, you, you bitch about writing, you get more writing. What do I write about? I don't care. But it better, it better show me that you learned something. It better teach me something, and I better be able to understand it. Because if it's a report on a freaking X Men uh, comic book, I don't care. It's to be able to derive information from something and I don't know about you guys but growing up in the 80s I learned a lot of shit reading comic books anybody here ever learn anything about life in a comic book anybody here when you were a kid if you read com- if you did did you realize at some point that there was a lot more truth to life in a comic book than what the adults were telling you about life anybody else ever figure that out I kind of did when I was in like fifth or sixth grade Anyway, that kind of wraps things up today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. If you did, I'd really appreciate your help. There's a couple things that I could use from you today. One is if you're sitting here right now listening to all this and like, this is some good shit. That's why I stuck around. Do exactly what 30 Day Reviews is saying. Hit that like. That really helps me online. I would also like you to consider joining the Member Support Brigade. I just announced this morning formally that uh, Akira Botanicals, who we had on yesterday, 
about cannabis, we, we have a 20% discount on them. I put an order in myself for some things for myself and my wife. And I use the discount code of 20%. I saved 60 bucks. My membership is $50. Also, do consider becoming, uh, or not sorry, do consider doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And I see people dropping out. Don't drop out. We're going to do Q&A. I'm doing this first, so it's not all at the end. Q&A is coming. I promise you. Anyway, um, if you start your online shopping at tspaz.com, you'll help us out no matter what it is that you buy. And uh, you, it, one thing you always need to know about that is whatever you see on tspaz.com, if it's reviewed by me, I bought it, I spent my money on it, I'd do it again or I would recommend it to you. Integrity is my brand above all things. Today I brought around the Barina LED grow lights in six packs again today. These are like the best grow lights for the money that I've ever found. Uh, they work great. And I just want to put a little light under your butt today. I know it's January. It's cold outside. And next week for me, I'm going to have some days in the low 20s. For North Texas, that's cold. It sucks. My wife hates it because she has to go pick the grandkids up. I get to stay inside and drink coffee. Um, but we are rapidly heading for spring. Most of us will should be starting peppers, tomatoes, and stuff like that in February or early March. Most of the country. That's when you should be doing your indoor seed starting. These lights are the bomb, and one batch of producing your own plants from seed, let me tell you something, pay for themselves. Also, I have the Epigenetics Breeding Your Own Seed Seminar from Alan Booker on the website right now. There'll be a, a link in the show notes as well. This is something Paul Wheaton put together. It's about a two-hour seminar. I was blown away by it. You might want to check that out, but I'll, I'll bring it up for a reason with these row lights. I'm going to do something this year that I've never done before. When I start my seeds, I'm going to go into my garden and I'm going to, in every cup, put in a little bit of the soil. Now he didn't say to do this. It's a different reason I'll get to. I'm going to put some of my own garden soil in the seed starting pots so that my natural biological organisms that are in my garden soil that I've been building for years now are there when the seed sprouts. And the reason is, Alan said during this seminar, this is the kind of thing that will blow you away. It's like 10 bucks to get access to this thing. If the seed germinates and it's absent the microorganisms to form symbiosis with, science-y, right? If that's the case and it has to go on its own, many of the symbiotic relationships that that plant is capable of, it will never form because its innate intelligence will basically have it make a decision at that point, I'm on my own. So it's not just about nutrient. It's about the, the, the natural, innate, biological life in your soil. And I think, now that I've heard that, this might be one reason that direct sow, when you have enough time to do so, breeds plants that are so much stronger than transplants. So I'm going to be doing that. That's one thing I picked up in this two and a half, it's like two hours and 20 minute seminar. Ten bucks. Don't let the word epigenetics fool, scare you. I'm going to describe it a little bit differently. I have a new copy for it for you guys next week. But definitely check that out. Let's do a few questions here. Mr. Spearco, that's my dad, guys. I'm Jack. I live in Texas and was wondering where you get straw for your coop that's safe from herbicides. So I get my straw uh, from uh, Russell Feeds. 
and I have never had any problems with herbicide residues. And the way that I compost, I worry about it very little as well. Um, and I, I, I've tested the source a few times, and this is the best way to test your source. Get two buckets, two pots, two fairly large containers. Fill them with known good soil. Soak your straw that you're going to source in some water in a bucket for a day. Pull the straw so it doesn't get skanky. Water pot A, scientific method here, guys. Water pot A with the water out of that bucket. Water pot B with your other your regular water source, right? So one's been exposed to straw, one hasn't, yeah? Into those pots when you do this, plant some beans, some bean that grows really well. If you have herbicide residual and you put in something like a green bean or a lima bean, it will be, it will either not grow at all or it will grow this really funky, contorted. Un- if there's a major difference between the two, same place, same soil, same size pot, same watering frequency, same temperatures, same light exposure. If there's a significant negative difference, probably shouldn't use that source of whatever it is. That's how I test that. I've never had a problem getting my stuff from Russell Feeds. Uh, K-Bonk says, in your life, uh, have they ever not raised the U.S. debt? Not sure what we were talking about when that came up, but no, the debt of the country has gone up for my whole life. Now, people said the debt went down while Bill Clinton was president. No, the deficit went down. The deficit went down, not the debt. Anyway, um, Faith says, I made my parents stop smoking weed by having an anxiety attack of insane proportions that they were going to die, die, die. I was born in 72. This was probably 81 or 81. I made my parents stop smoking by having an anxiety attack of insane proportions that they were going to die. So I guess you were wrapped up in the Reagan war on drugs. Your parents probably didn't stop smoking. They probably just told you that they did because it was easier than arguing with you. Uh, Mitchell says, what are your thoughts on raising guinea pigs for a sustainable protein source? Anyone here tried it? Oh, cooey. Um, I don't think it's a very valid thing to do. I think if you look at the size of the animal and what have you, that, it's probably just about as much work as doing rabbits. The manure is less valuable and the yield is crap comparatively. Um, they are raised in South America for this purpose. I think they're more of like kind of a tribute to the ancients. It's a snack. It's an extra protein source. I, I, I don't know. I, I've heard so much talk in prepper space about this. But I've never had anybody like, dude, come over to my house. I'll serve you some guinea pig. Like, we eat guinea pig five times. No, never actually seen it work. Though I heard a really great lecture from Bill Mollison about cooking a guinea pig. I laughed my ass off when he was explaining this. He said they heat up two rocks, they take the guinea pig, and they smash the poor bugger. And, of course, he's doing it with Zazie accent between the two hot rocks. Flatten them out like a pancake and cook them all. And he was like describing it. He drew this thing on the chalkboard. He put this little white speck in the middle of it. He says, you know what that is? And students are like, his eye is hard. But no, that's his soul. Right. So it made a good lecture, but I don't think it's a valid means of significant protein production. Uh, Jack, I'm 283 pounds, six foot five last week. I was 290. I'm going for 250. I am a fat ass. John, good for you. Love yourself, bro. You're worth it. Right. This is the thing. We tend to think that we do things for our family because we love them. But if we don't love ourselves first and take care of ourselves first, then we're not doing the right thing for our families. 
and the people that depend on us. You got to take care of yourself. Mask on before you put your neighbor's mask on, right? Good for you, John. Uh, Dead Rider says doing bioremediation, then making biochar from it. How bad would that be? Hmm. So that would mean that you're using something that's a, like a bioremediation crop, like cannabis, making biochar out of it, and then putting that biochar back into the soil. That wouldn't really be bad. That wouldn't really be bad. But that pro- like they're, they're using biochar for carbon sequestration and things like road base. Like that would probably be a better way to do it. But the reason it wouldn't be that bad, even if it went back into soil you were going to grow in, biochar itself is a bioremediation technique. So if we take soil that needs remediation and we start incorporating biochar in it, the things that we really don't want in our food, in our bodies, and in our water, the biochar will lock it up. Now, see, the biochar will also lock things up like calcium, manganese, uh, selenium, things that the plants do want. But the plants have to go in and actively work with soil symbiosis in the form of microorganisms to get it back. It doesn't, it's not like a, people call it a slow release. It's not a release at all. It locks it up. So the only thing about that is whatever of those things that were remediated remained after the gasification process would be occupying space that could not do further remediation. So I, that's that's the best I can do from what I know at this point, which I admit is limited, which is why we have a series coming up with experts on biochar. Talked to one yesterday. He's supposed to get the form filled out, get him on. He's so badass. I'm going to work him in. We'll have a week with like three interviews or we'll skip a Bitcoin breakout or something because this guy is the shit. I cannot wait to have a conversation with him for you guys. John Hendricks, you should change first name to Jimmy, dude, just for the hell of it. Or make your middle name Jimmy or something. Go down to courthouse, do it. Be awesome. Jimmy Hendricks. Jack, I would love to hear more podcasts on marketing and business. We haven't done that in a while. I probably should. Business process flow, how that works. Uh, I'll try to get that done for you, John. Um, anyway, there are a few more questions, but I am worn out, dude. It's an hour, 30 minutes long. That's long enough for our podcast today. Remember, tomorrow will be an expert council Q&A show of the week, and I will be talking about the revelations that came about Pfizer playing around with viruses to make vaccines for variants that don't exist yet by changing them in their laboratories. Like this, have you never read a science fiction book in your life? Wait do you hear this if you have before. I got a great lineup tomorrow. Jessica Dixie Mills will be on answering a question. I heard from her in a while. We got a really great answer from Nick Ferguson. Like always, I think I got a Doc Bones answer queued up. Ron Paul Liberty Report highlights of the week will be back regular time, like always, is the lead story. And a ton more. Check us out tomorrow. If you have just listened to us for the first time, please subscribe. If we're on YouTube, please like. Please follow. Click the little bell so that you get a notification every time I put some new shit up because it's all the time. If you're on Fountain, send me a boost. I'm going to be reading the top boosts from this week, next week on the air. If you're on any other podcasting 2.0 app and you send me a boost, I should see it. If you use Apple Podcasts, subscribe there. Spotify, subscribe there. But remember, this is a new world. If you want to get into the decentralized world of podcasting, just start using one of these 2.0 apps like Fountain FM. It's better, and they'll pay you a little bit for all the time you spend listening to the shows that help educate, inform, and enlighten you. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? 
said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. Show you a better way. 